one thing that definitely is unique to Australia is they have this tendency to say yeah and no for the exact same question. So are we going to go to the beach a little bit later? Yeah, no. No, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, literally, uh, it's so confusing. Yeah, no. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, welcome back to Living and Learning. I'm Reba McIntyre. You all know my charming guest today. Mm-hmm. He needs no introduction, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. He's famous. He's a great guitar player, absolute stunning vocalist, sexy on stage, super-duper entertainer. His single, Wild Hearts, off of his album, The Speed of Now, Part 1, is out right now. Welcome to the show, my friend Keith Urban. Wow. How about that? Thank you, Reba. A little urban at the end. I like it. Remember the first time I saw you're Keith Urban. And you said, no, I'm Keith Urban. I'm Keith I said, Urban. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my show. Thank you, Reba. Nice to be talking with you always. I don't want to talk business yet. I want to talk about the family. How's the family doing? Family's good. How about you? How are you guys? Yeah, everybody's good. Pandemic, other than people getting sick. And unfortunately, so unfortunate that a lot of people died. Mm. I totally enjoyed the time off and being with family and friends and just mm. kicking back. How about you? Yeah, our experience was was similar too. I think it's it's that dichotomy, isn't it? It's the juxtaposition of knowing the reality that some of us are in and then the reality that a lot of other people are in and trying to reconcile those two things. Not uh, forget what other people are going through, but also not miss the grace that we've been given at this time as well. Wow, I couldn't have said that better. Thank you for that. Were you itching to get back out there to perform or were you kind of okay with it all? Um, a, a bit of both, actually. Yeah, yeah a bit of both. Me I mean, I was, we were finishing up our album and the, the biggest panic for me was I hadn't finished my record and being a collaborative person, you know, with co-producers, musicians, engineers, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, oh, so I can't do that with anybody. Uh, okay. For, for how long? What, you know? Yeah. So I, you yeah. know, and I think like a lot of people, I might, it was, it was my pan pandemic plan. I'm just going to put on my sweatpants, get some popcorn, sit on the couch with the family and watch Netflix until this all blows over. That was my plan. <laughs> uh, I did get to watch a lot of Netflix. That's for did sure. You? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I loved it all. What did you watch? Other than the Tiger King, what did you watch in the pandemic? That was like mandatory viewing. I have not watched the Tiger King. 
But I did watch Nicole's shows for sure. Excellent. Tell her way to go. Nine Perfect Strangers. I had no idea where that was going at all. Right. And at the end, wow. So I'm not going to blow it for anybody else. But if you hadn't seen it yet, go watch it. It's incredible. Ah, Yeah. Rex and I, we love to watch television and we will binge watch and um, we're ready for our favorites like Ozark and Peaky Blinders to come back out. We love those. Hey, so are you one of the people, Reba, who are frustrated at the ones that only stream weekly? Yes. I'm spoiled rotten. I want to see <laughs> yes. them all right now. Then you got to wait. Yeah, we're an instant gratification society, so we if are. not sooner. Absolutely. Mm. Hey, how did you enjoy co-hosting the ACMs with Mickey? I loved it. Mickey's just was super easy to to host with. You know, it would have been nice if there were some people, as you can imagine, oh, Reva. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. you had a similar experience yeah. with Darius, although you had some people. You had a few more people than we did, I think. We did. It had started to open up a little bit uh, after you guys did it. Um, Y'all were the guinea pigs to try to figure out how to do it. And we were all sitting there watching how you going to do it. And then we had a few more when Darius and I got out there. But I'm glad that this year that they kept at the CMAs, the tables out front. Yeah. Where everybody can be more conversational. Every year. Make it every year. Yeah. I, I'm with you. That looked like it was a lot of fun. I loved your yeah. performance at the CMAs. Thank you. You walking down the street on Broadway and making that turn, it was incredible. Well, as you can imagine, Reba, that was a 3.15 a.m. call time. I was wondering when. <laughs> I definitely would. Now, for that street to be shut down, no cars anywhere, what time did that have to be? Yeah, well, I got there at 3.15. I think we shot about quarter to four. Wow. The beautiful thing, and you can relate to this too, there was no in-front camera shot. It was all behind. Yes. (laughs) I looked exhausted, but nobody knew. (laughs) Tell me about Wild Hearts. Uh, Wild Hearts is a a song we wrote. It was actually a song um, already written, and I got sent the song. Jennifer Wayne and Brad Terracy and Eric Pasley wrote the song, and I got sent it, and... I loved the chorus of the song, mm-hmm. but the verses didn't didn't speak to me. And so I listened to the song a few times, and I was like, mm, "No, it's not for me." I mean, you get you get sent songs all the time, so you have a certain way of listening and reacting to a song that you didn't write. Yeah. And I just thought, "Nah, it's it's close, but not there." And so I passed on the song. And about two weeks later, I woke up one morning singing this song in my head. And I was like, that's a really good song. So I went back and listened to it again. And I thought, oh, it's just not, it's not personal for me. And it, and it, and it should be because it's about following your dreams, you know, against all odds. And all of us in Nashville know that really, really well, you know, coming to a town where it's full of dreamers and everybody's trying to make it. And so I called the writers and asked if I could rewrite the, the verses to make them more personal to me. And luckily they agreed. And so I wrote the first verse and the second verse. And the first verse, I remember sitting there at the kitchen table one morning. Kids were gone. Nick was gone. I drank this really strong coffee. <laughs> I, was, I was like, all right, so where does my journey begin? Mm. And I, the very first thought I had was my mom and dad taking my brother and I to see Johnny Cash when I was five years old. Um, that very much felt like the first part of it. So I wrote down, saw the man in black, spotlight in the air, heard a thousand screams, I saw my daddy stare. And then we were off and running on the song. I love that. (laughs) 
So five years old, you saw Johnny Cash? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That'll stay with you. I don't know that I ever saw Johnny Cash in concert. Yeah, and I never did after that. Where was he playing in Australia? He was playing at a place called Festival Hall in Brisbane, my hometown, mm. which was an old boxing hall, which was perfect for a Johnny Cash show. 5,000 people, all wooden uh-huh. hall. You were just a beautiful, sweaty, perfect place to see him. But what I remember about it, obviously it was my first concert, five years old, my first concert. Wow. What I remember was faint images of, of all these people outside. All the audience was gathered outside, you know, waiting to get in. And it was so loud because everyone was smashed. You know, these are <laughs> hardcore, working class, <laughs> hammered, Johnny Cash loving people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, my dad fit right in. And there we were in this incredibly rowdy, noisy thing. And we went into the hall. You know, you don't remember much at five, but the things I remember were that, because everybody's huge and tall around you. Mm-hmm. Going into the hall and the deafening roar of the hall when this guy came on stage. And I'm like, what is going on? And all the, all the lights are down and this guy walks out on stage. Or whatever. And the next thing I remember was this big spotlight coming across the top of our head. Because, you know, you're five years old. You've never seen that beam going through the smoke and everybody's smoking back then. So yeah. that beam is strong going up to the stage. And I would say the thing that probably hit me the most was at some point, I'm quite sure I looked at my dad and was mesmerized of how he was looking at this guy on stage. Yeah. And I'm quite sure even at that age, I was wondering how do I get my dad to look at me like that? I, I'm very, very sure that that was a strong catalyst for what I ended up doing. Amazing. Mm. Isn't it incredible how we pull and crave their approval so Mm. much? Mm -hmm. Keith, when Mama passed away March 2020, uh, Susie and I were cleaning out Mom and Daddy's house, and I was sitting there, and I, I told Susie, I said, well, the pandemic had hit already, too. I couldn't go back to Nashville. And I told Susie, I said, you know, I've lost my want to to go back on the road and sing anymore. She Mm. said, why? I said, because I was doing it for Mama. Mm. Because when Mama took me to Nashville in 75, January, I kept messing around. We'd stop, you know, every 20 miles. She said, Reba, if you don't want to do this, we can just go back home. Just forget about it. Because I was going down to cut a demonstration tape. Mm. She said, but if we go and do this, I'll be living all my dreams through you. And I said, well, shoot, why didn't you say that? Let's go. And so when <laughs> no. Mama died, I'd kind of lost my want to. Mm. And about three months later, I was ready to go back and record because I knew she wanted me to. And I was listening to her. Wow. But I always was craving that approval from Daddy and that look at, from Mama, that wink that said, yeah, you did good. Mm. And did you get that from her at an early age? Oh, always from her. Wow. Not so much Daddy. No. Uh, I have probably had won several awards by the time I got, you did good from daddy. He, his bar yeah. was way high. Yeah. And, um, or probably more his ability to express it. More yes, that's true. That's yeah. very true. But then when I finally got it from daddy, it was kind of like, that's what I've been waiting on. Right. So, you know, it was just kind of weird. I had gotten it all the time from mama. Yeah. Mama would whoop anybody if they said anything bad about her kids, right <laughs> or wrong. She was on our side constantly. And have you become that same mom? Oh, definitely. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. I am Shelby's A number one fan, but 
the first one to correct him and make him toe the line. Huh. I parent a lot like Mama did. If we ever do anything wrong, she pulls us aside, not in front of anybody, and corrects us and tells us you know, what to do mm-hmm. the right way. Mm. Excellent. How in the world have you juggled a career and marriage living in Australia, United States, back and forth, and you guys being so popular and busy? How do y'all do it? Well, I mean, we live in Nashville. That, that's been home for me for 30 years now. I've lived in America longer than I lived in Australia. I was 23 when I moved to Nashville. So wow, uh, it's crazy. We have a place in Australia, but we, we, you know, we don't live there. We, we go down mm-hmm. to visit um, Nick's mom and my mom both live there. Nick's sister, brother-in-law and all their kids, my brother and his kids. And so we got lots of family down there. Um, but it's a, it's a long way, you know. Yeah, it is. You've done that flight before. Yeah. Yeah, I have. You can meet somebody and break up on that flight, Reba. <laughs> 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 I was I was touring Australia and they wanted me to come back to LA during the Alma Awards and I was gonna sing a duet with Chitonzinho and Chororo. They were a duet team from uh Brazil. Uh-huh. And I did because we had a single out. I went in, did rehearsals, sang on the awards show, got on the plane and did the red eye back. Oh my gosh. We really didn't miss a step because we just slept on the plane the whole time. Yeah, it takes what it takes. But it's rough. Yeah. What's been your best achievement, your biggest achievement to you? Uh, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, marrying the right person Huge. <laughs> was massive. Huge. Um, marrying for the right reasons. Uh, getting sober 15 years ago was a, a, a big turning point in my life. Um, I, I never had specific um, goals. I just wanted to live in, all, when I was a kid, I went, I just want to live in Nashville. I want to write songs, make some records and hope the radio plays them. And if radio plays them, some people come out and see us play our own music instead of these covers that I'm playing every night. That was it. That was the goal. Yeah. When were you first on stage? <laughs> I started playing guitar when I was six and my mom saw an ad uh, for this theater group that was performing uh, at the shopping center. Uh, during school holidays. And um, so I, I went and tried out for this group at seven and they took me and we were performing, you know, things, plays and whatnot in these shopping centers, which was great because I was getting stage experience uh-huh. from that age. I mean, you must have started young too, Reba. Well, my first experience in front of a live audience was when I was probably four or five years old. We were at the Cheyenne Frontier Days Rodeo Cheyenne, Mm -hmm. Wyoming. And we were all staying at the old Frontier Hotel and everybody congregated down in the lobby during those days. They, you know, didn't have televisions in the room and all the cowboys and wives were down there. And one of the cowboys got paid, my older brother, to get up and sing, um, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. (laughs) And one of the cowboys fished in his pocket and gave Paik a quarter. So I dragged Paik over on the side and I said, hey, well, I wanted some of this action. What can I do? And he said, right. you know, Jesus loved me. Get out there and sing that. And so I got out there and I sang Jesus loves me. And they fished around in their pocket and they gave me a nickel. Thought, What's the deal here? Wow. Jesus does love you. <laughs> Thank God he does. <laughs> That's it. Praise the Lord and send the money. <laughs> exactly. And so the first time I was ever behind a microphone, though, was in the first grade Christmas program, Singing Away in the Manger. Oh, beautiful. 
But I was singing in clubs at 13 yeah. and learning if a fight broke out on over here, then you go over on this side of the stage to divert attention. And it's a lot of big educations when you're singing in clubs, dance halls. So you were preparing to work with Kicks and Ronnie even at that age. It's amazing. Exactly. Incredible. Exactly. Mm. And I still have not had enough training yet to put up with those two. <laughs> They're characters. <laughs> Keith, what are your favorite venues to play? Mine is Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. I love to play Caesars. Yeah. I love to play Vegas. Yeah, that room is amazing. We've got the Coliseum there at Caesars Palace where uh -huh. you guys play. We've been doing some residency there as well. That is, yeah. that's one of the just the most perfect rooms, isn't it? Sonically, the stage, where the audience is, how love it. big, the ceiling, just everything. It's just perfect. I do love it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this is our last time going in in December, um, and I'm, I'm going to miss it tremendously, but they've really treated us well. Yeah. I do yeah. love it. Yeah, us too. Now, it says you were the only country artist to sing in the Olympics opening ceremony. How did I miss that? Well. Golly. Were you there? No, um, everybody participated from wherever they were, you know, were from. And we all did it green screened mm -hmm. and then sang uh, a piece of, of Imagine that um, Hans Zimmer had done a reworking of it. Amazing. And, and we sang that. Good deal. Mm. Did you see the Olympics at all, Reba? No, I didn't. I did not. What's your favorite sport? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I like a lot of them. Gymnastics, swimming. The long distance running is crazy because mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing what humans can push themselves to, to do. It's unbelievable. When I watch the Olympics, I like the winter sports, the winter games, when mm -hmm. they ski yeah. and then they're carrying their rifle and then they get down on their belly, their stomachs, <laughs> and they shoot and then they get back up and put their gun on and they ski around again. Yeah. I love that. It's more of a dare, isn't it, than a sport? I mean, it's uh, it's insane. It's it's hard it's, to be it able. It's impossible. It does because yeah. keeping your arms steady and still after you have been skiing and you're so tired and you lay down and your, your arms, they have to be shaking. You must have grown up shooting in Oklahoma. No, I didn't. Not until no. I got the part for Buffalo Girls with Angelica Houston right. that I got to learn how to shoot because yeah. I was going to play Annie Oakley. Yeah. And then I went on to play Annie Oakley and Annie Get Your Gun. Yeah. But Daddy didn't keep guns around the house at all. We lived on 8,000 acres in uh, Oklahoma. We were ranchers, but I think the only time Mom and Daddy ever used the gun, they needed to kill a deer for food. Yeah. And Daddy couldn't hit it, and Mama shot it. He, she got it. Rock and roll. Come yeah, on. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Annie, get your gun. How was Broadway, by the way, Reba? How, I was, I'm always fascinated how you all maintain your voice. And yet, still have to do all of the uh, all all of the other things outside of the show, but also take care of it and find that balance, right? Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it. I did eight shows a week for six months. Amazing. And right in the middle, I had to run to uh, L.A. to shoot the pilot for the Reba TV show. Yeah. But I never lost my voice. I took care of it. Um, I stayed in, but we walked to and from, if the weather was good, I would walk to and from the theater each night, each performance, and uh, kept in shape that way. But yeah. my gosh, there was a lot of dancing and running around and changing costumes and wigs and things. And the camaraderie, I, I absolutely loved it. Mm. Have you ever done a play? Um, no, I was Oliver 
in the school production of Oliver in the eighth grade. There you go. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure if I was any good at acting. I think it wasn't a big pool to draw from when it came to small, blonde-headed boys who could sing. <laughs> it, was, it was very small. But I tell you what, here's the thing I learned from it, separate to the acting, was actually to do with fame. Yeah. And so in the eighth grade, I'm not the coolest guy in school by a long shot. I don't really play sport. I'm the geeky kid that plays guitar in the, in the music room at lunchtime. I don't have a lot of friends. I'm just awkward. I'm just shy and awkward. And I get the role of Oliver. And suddenly I had all these girlfriends. I'm like, this is oh. amazing. I like this thing. This and <laughs> and and the the play ran for like a week at school. And as soon as the play finished, all the girlfriends finished. It was over, oh, no. dead, back to back oh. to life as I knew it. And at that age, I was like, oh, got it. This thing is just <laughs> don't get don't don't buy into that cruelty. And that's a good thing to learn in the eighth grade. True. <laughs> talking about the little taste of fame. When uh, I first recorded, I thought, I didn't know anything about music business. I'm from a rodeo ranching background. Uh, listened to country music all our life, and our only vacation was going to the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville from Oklahoma. Mm. So I thought when you recorded a song and it got on the radio, you're instantly rich. You get a tour bus and you yeah. go on tour yeah. and you perform yeah. in front of thousands of people. Yeah. That didn't happen that way. No. I was six years before I got a number one record after I got with Polygram Mercury Records. So was yours fast? Did you jump in there? and? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> it was definitely not fast, especially because, I mean, I, I look back and think, yeah, no wonder. I mean, lobbing into Nashville, talking the way I do, looking the way I did, playing music the way I did, just just everything was like, what is what is this? What is this guy doing here? You know, <laughs> it, it, uh, it's blind faith and just following the muse and believing in myself um, undyingly was 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 all was it. You know, yeah. here's the big thing: I didn't have any plan B. I had no plan B, and. Luke Combs wrote that great song, Doing This. And I, I said to him the other night, I said, gosh, you have such a great way of stating these things that so many of us feel. And mm -hmm. like many of us, we get asked in interviews, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? And I love that Luke said, I'd be doing this. I just wouldn't be, uh -huh. I wouldn't be in the arena. I'd be at a, at a corner bar somewhere or I'd be on a corner. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pl playing for change. Just, I'd be somewhere. Uh -huh. I mean, I, I, this is all I know how to do. So yeah, I feel very, very blessed that I get to do it where I get to do it. I agree hundred percent. So mm. what's your goal? And they asked me the other day, what you've won awards. So what do you want to win next? I'm going to tell you my answer, but I want to hear yours first. What's next? <laughs> you've got an answer, what do you do want? You? Here's a, yeah. uh, uh, first of all, I mean, I, I, look, I, I, I've never, I have no clue how you win something. I know that I love, and this, this is literally ground zero for me. I make music, it either works or it doesn't work. That's, that's the truest truth I, I've ever realized. And the longer I get to do it, the more I realize how true that is because I haven't got a clue what people will respond to, what they will, what they won't. So I just make music and it mm -hmm. does what it does. That's, that's all I know. So I don't really have goals of winning things, just 
finding new ways to connect with everybody and express this thing inside me that wants to come out. That's it. I love that. When I first got started and got to start going to the award shows, like in 81, I, I lived for award shows. I mean, the CMAs and then the ACMs and then Music City News Award Show. I lived for those. Right. And then, like the guy the other day, he said, uh, you've won these awards. What do you want to win next? And I said, I don't care that I win anymore. And that's very unusual for me because I'm a very competitive person. Not that I'm devious and I'm going to win no matter what. Right. It's just I like competition. Yeah. Pake and I used to run out of the house after release from chores singing anything you can do, I can do better. Right. And we'd throw rocks, do chin-ups, pull-ups, foot races, rope something. We were just very competitive. My dad's a three-time world champion stair roper, so came by it honestly. Mm. But I told him, I said, what I want, I want happiness. Mm. I want to be happy with friends and family that I love to be around. And I don't care to be around people that make me anxious or aggravated. Willie Nelson said that thing about all the green apples in the bucket. And if one turns sour and rotten, then all of a sudden everything else will. So I want to keep the bucket full of nice ripe green apples mm. or red, but no rotten ones. No. And just stay around great people. That's it. And I think, uh, you know, the pandemic has brought a lot of people to the place of assessing their life and the people around them. And the big question, I think people talk about, you know, what do you want to do? What sort of job do you want to have? What are this? What, 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 what? And really the more important question is why? Why? Why do I do this job? Why do I like this person? Why am I doing this? Because that's, a, for me, that's, that's the single most important question. You know, why do I play music? Because it's, it, it, it's just organic. It's like I said, I'd be playing on a street corner somewhere. That's why I do it. I don't do it for where it's taken me now. I've just had this intense love and passion and drive to keep doing it and try and get better at it. And the end result was doing a podcast with you, Reba, which is crazy. Aww, it's true. You. But you got to understand, I grew up in <laughs> Australia and I'm going to the CD store and there's a, there's Reba McIntyre CD. You know, and and I'm like buying your CDs. <laughs> now I'm doing a freaking podcast with you. It's crazy. It's crazy. I love it. Yeah. I love it. It's almost like our music is the conduit to help people. I've always thought it was a really cool thing that if people, when they're coming into our concerts, if they could just dust off the trouble, the worries, and come in and have just a great time of guilt-free, worry-free, fun time. And then when they leave, if they have to pick it up, go ahead, pick it up, and go home and deal with it. But maybe mm -hmm. they're recharged and they're in a better position now that they can handle those worries and troubles a little bit better. Mm. But music is so healing. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, that's why you do what you do, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you, you talked about doing it for your mama and you keep doing that. I mean, I, I still, my dad passed away five, six years ago. And I, I'm, I feel like I'm still trying to get his approval. It's, yes. it's, yeah. And I, I got it years ago. I got it a long, long time ago, but it's, it's, but it's what drives me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think making a connection with the audience is the other thing that drives me. I, I come out on stage and because I grew up playing in the clubs, 
in Australia. This is what I'm used to walking out on stage and seeing. All right. <clears throat> what do you do? Uh-huh. Why do we, why should we care about you? <laughs> what do you do? You know? Uh-huh. And uh, that's what I'm used to. That's what I know. And that's what motivates me is walking out on stage. And I always say, my job is this. because I still play to the reluctant boyfriends. That's what I like to call them. The guys who've <laughs> been dragged along to this gig. And they're like, ugh. Ah, oh, she seems to like him. All right, I got to put up with this guy for a minute. And you do it every night, I'm sure. I love it. That's wonderful. Stay tuned. After the break, we'll be right back with more. All right, we, they got a game they want me to play here. It's called Urban Legends. Ah, okay. I'll say a prompt, and then we each come up with our own set of two truths and a lie and try to guess which is the lie, a.k.a. the urban legend. Ah. Here's the first prompt. Okay. While on tour, I go on stage with Stark Naked with my hair on fire. Well, that's true, obviously. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Keith. I've seen Give me a little either. credit there. Yeah. All right, now you you say a truth or a lie about you going on tour. Uh, while on tour, I like to make sure I have uh, a coffee set up where I can be like my own barista because my wife got me a barista course for my birthday. I'm going to say that's true. That is true. Okay. While on tour, my dressing room is a replica of my living room here in Nashville. That might actually be true. False. Ah. I go but in, it wouldn't surprise me, Reba. Maybe pipe and drape, but that's it. We did that a couple of years. Well, see, I thought that your living room in Nashville is pipe and drape. So <laughs> that's that's what threw me. <laughs> you're fast. Because you're such a road queen. You. <laughs> All right, let's go to another subject. While on vacation. I just love that you rattled up Pipe and Drape, which sounds like some duo performing just off the strip in Vegas. Hey, y'all, we're Pipe and Drape. I so want to go and see <laughs> That's them That's a great name for a duo. It's a great name for a duo. Uh, All right, while on vacation. Tell me oh. something outlandish. Ah, <clears throat> uh, wow. Okay, while on vacation. I'm struggling to make something up for vacation. I can't make anything up. That's hilarious. Okay, I'll do one. I'll hit go me, first. Hit then. me one. While on vacation, I like to take at least 23 people with, no, 43 people <laughs> with me on family vacations. <laughs> true or false? Well, that sounds false. It's true. 43 people? 43 people of the family and their significant others and their children and grandchildren to Atlantis one year for vacation. Wow. Uh, That's awesome. I had to go to a psychiatrist after that. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that was the last one, too. That's that's a really good <laughs> idea to do that. We, I mean, we've t- taken like maybe some playdates and their parents, but 43, is a, that's a commitment. Yeah. You would need a road yeah. manager just for the vacation. Yeah, I wish. Wish, we, wish we'd have been that smart to do Are that. Are you a good organizer, Reba? Um, yes, and I love to plan. Uh, I really am. Excellent. I love details. Right. I write lots of notes. I'm getting older, so I forget where the notes are. So we start over again. <laughs> so you have to write a note to say where the notes are. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So anything about you while you're on vacation? Uh, when we're on vacation, we, well, when we go on vacation, 
we have a dog and two cats. And weirdly enough, we always take the dog and the two cats on vacation with us. False. Yeah, it is false. That would be a nightmare. I think I'd rather <laughs> take 46, 47 people. 43 people. 43 people <laughs> and their cats and dogs, yes. A cat, because, I mean, the dog, yes, but the cats, terrible skiers. <laughs> Are your cats the kind that look at you like, couldn't care less about you? Well, Are they affectionate? we have two cats uh, uh-huh. in Nashville, and... They've been with us five years, and I swear one of them, every time I see him, the cat goes, who are you? Like every, I'm, it's, it's, what's wrong with this cat? So strange. Yeah. And the other one's totally different? Uh, the other one's kind of just in, yeah, indifferent. The other yeah. one is indifferent. Yeah. But when we were in Australia, when we went down, we went down to Australia because Nick was filming Nine Perfect Strangers in Australia. It was the only place uh-huh. you could film during the pandemic. So we went down there last year and filmed Nine Perfect Strangers. So while we're, we, while we're there and we suddenly realized we're going to be here for quite a few months filming this thing, Nick said, we should get a cat. And I'm like, we, we don't live here. What are we going to do with a cat? You know, she's like, well, <laughs> let's just get a cat and then we'll find somebody who can take care of the cat when we, when we go. So, all right. So we went to the rescue. And we found this cat and he's like the best cat in the world. Just cool, chill, jump up on your lap, happy to see you. Everything these other two cats we have are not. And I, I, mm-hmm. I wish we could bring that cat back with us. But we found a lady to take care of him uh, when we left. But he, he's the coolest. That's sweet. Yeah. That is so sweet. Well, Keith, I've taken up so much of your time, and I, I could talk to you forever because I'd love to hear about Jimmy Bowen and all the recording back. And I just, I have so many questions. One day, we'll sit down. Okay, and have so a that's chat. a that's a dinner, that's yes. a dinner or a lunch. We will we will definitely do that. Yes, we'll tell all the family hi for me, and I appreciate you taking the time out to to visit with me. I've totally enjoyed it. I hadn't laughed this much in a long time. You need to get out more. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> all right, you take care. Tell Love all the family hi for me. Love you too. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I had such a wonderful time today visiting with Keith. Now, his tickets for his 2022 North American leg of the Speed of Now World Tour, they just went on sale, so be sure to get out there and get your ticket and see Keith on the road. Come back here next week for another episode of Living and Learning, only on Spotify. See you next week. Well, thanks for listening to Living and Learning with Reba McIntyre, a Spotify original production. Our lead producer is Dylan Rupert with producer Baron Farmer. Our executive producers are Gina Delvac, Yossi Salik, Danny Trebatch, and Justin McIntosh. Editing by Cheryl Crosby. Original music by Doug Sizemore. Special thanks to Leah Edwards, Robert Adler, Casey Simonson, and Kyla Conero. I'm your host, Reba McIntyre. Follow us only on Spotify. Spotify.